Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Welcome back, everybody, to The Daily Sales Show. We bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. I'm your host, Adrian Saya, and today we are here to talk about how to write a winning cold email. If you don't know, I'm sure you're all acquainted, but cold email is not dead. It is still one of the most powerful ways of getting your prospect's attention and making sure that they reply back to you and are actually engaged in the conversation. So we're going to make sure that you have all the resources and tools available to you so you can craft that fantastic winning email every time. Now, of course, I love to know where are you guys tuning in from? Throw it in the chat. We, we're usually worldwide. So this is great to see. Let me know where you guys are tuning in from and click that blue button and switch it to everyone. If it's not everyone, I can't see what you post. So be sure to switch it to everyone. All right. I'm already seeing the chat here. Blow up. Welcome, everybody. Great to see you all engaging. We got Alexis from Texas. Welcome, Alexis. <laughs> Anoop from India. Welcome, Anoop. It's great to have you here. We also have Joe from Minnesota. Welcome, everyone. It's great to see you all. Now, let's get right into it. So who is today's speaker? We have Seth List. He's a go-to-market and growth at Revcast. Now, Seth, when it comes to cold email, what do you think a lot of reps are really missing? You know, I think it's been an interesting trajectory. I've been in sales development 15 years and the the tech stack and the function have evolved a ton. I think in some cases, the tech actually works against us. Uh, we get lulled into this false sense of security that we uh, figure out what's working best on the team. We uh, plug it into our sequence. We rinse and repeat. Sometimes it works. A lot of times it doesn't. So um, I'm a big fan of the basics and I'm hoping to talk about some of that today. All right. Well, let's get right into it. Now, today we're going to do something a little bit differently. We're going to launch this poll earlier because I want to know who is in the room? Do we have SDRs, AEs, frontline managers, maybe a lot of senior leadership? Let me know. This is going to help tailor the conversation later. And next, we're going to have a question for you that's two-parted that is going to determine where we go with our conversation. It's going to be like a pick your journey type of deal. So <laughs> let me know who is in the room currently. We love to see these. So before we begin, if you're looking to level up in 2023, we are here to help with our daily sales show. Yes, we do this daily, everyone. So be sure to check us out at sellbetter.xyz or scan the QR code here and you can get access to hundreds of resources from various sales professionals who have been in the game for a very long time. So be sure to check it out and we will see you on the next show, of course. Now, we wouldn't be able to do this without our partners. So special shout out to Apollo.io. You guys don't know, it's one of the best ways of finding contact information and really building sequences. Apollo.io is great. Outreach, fantastic for any kind of outreach that you're looking to do. It is a fantastic tool. Be sure to check it out. And of course, Vidyard. When it comes to video, Vidyard is there to save the day. Be sure to check it out, Vidyard. And of course, our drop of the day, the ultimate guide to winning demos. We have this for you all. It's a free guide. Be sure to check it out. It's by Vidyard and it gives you a step-by-step -step process to make sure your demo goes successfully. So don't miss out on that. Now, it looks like we have about 41% of our room is SDRs, 34% are AEs. Does this surprise you at all, Seth? 
Uh, it doesn't. No. <laughs> Glad to see some uh, some leadership. And I saw that uh, in the chat that somebody snuck snuck in for marketing as well. So happy to have you. Love to have you guys here. Almost twelve percent senior leadership. This is great to see. Now. I want to know, like I said earlier, we want to launch these questions a little bit earlier. So this is a two-part question for you all. How often are you personalizing emails? Are you doing it all the time? Maybe never, or maybe just once in a while. Let me know in the chat if it's something different. And then lastly, do you build your own sequences and emails? I remember when I was at a company, they would not let us change it. So it happens. Do you have full creative freedom? You can write whatever you want, create your own pattern, maybe some creative freedom where you can, you have to keep it the same, maybe change one email or you have no creative freedom at all. Let me know. Maybe it's something completely different and you can put it in the chat. So fill this out for us. It'll tailor the conversation. So what are we going over today? We have the strategies to get ahead in quarter three with effective cold emailing, the techniques you need to have when you're building out a sequence, and lastly, how to craft that attention-grabbing email copy. Now, I'm already seeing this question that we were asking earlier blow up. Now, Seth, it looks like a majority of our audience does have, um, are personalizing very often. So about 66% are personalizing very often. And about 62% have full creative freedom when building their own cadences. 35% are saying some creative freedom. And 3% are saying they have no creative freedom whatsoever. What do you think about this? Um, it's encouraging. It's also a little scary. You know, the, the truth is that, uh, again, when left to our own devices, um, there's, there's, uh, there's some wisdom that says the more choice you have, the harder it becomes to make good choices. Right. And so it's a double edged sword. And I'm hoping to talk a little bit today about how to harness the power of the tools at our, our fingertips uh, to do personalization and contextualization at scale in an effective way. All right. So let's just get right into it. We have personalization and contextualization. What are the differences between the two? Yeah. Um, I'm the old guy in the room. Uh, I'm in my 40s. Again, I've been doing this a long time. And so in, in the early days, the notion of personalization really, if I, if I talk about it in practical terms, was, were things like, calling out that we went to the same college, that we share connections, that we root for the same sports team. Um, and that worked. It did for a while. And now it doesn't anymore. Um, there's been some foundational shifts in the way that buyers and sellers interact. Um, a big one, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with, is that our buyers are a good way down the path by the time we get to them, right? 60, 70% of the research, the evaluation, understanding their needs and the problem, starting to vet vendor options has already happened by the time we reach out to them. Um, the other piece of this is that uh, largely in the mid-market and enterprise selling scenarios, right? we're never doing business with one person. People buy in committees. And so when we think about how do we deliver a message that lands, right? we have to get the person's attention, but we also have to show them that we understand the context of their business. right? So who are they in their seat? Who do they interact with? Who's breathing down their neck? What problems are driving their priorities? right? And that's really more about contextualizing our messages to help them understand that we have a general sense of their business, right? How they get things done internally, and then offer a suggestion about how we can make things better, easier, faster, cheaper, right? How we can add value to something that they're already doing. I love that. When you say the value piece, it's it's very important. Now, when it comes to contextualization, what can value look like? Yeah, um, it, it's a, we have to thread a thin line, 
right? Um, one of the things I find, you know, hiring, uh, onboarding, managing SDRs, right? Good leadership and companies will, will put a lot of effort into training new hires on the company, the product, the value proposition, and on the receiving end of that, if done well, we get excited, right? We want to like rush out to market and tell everybody all these great things that we learned about our product. And we should, we have to counterbalance that with the idea that the prospect is the expert in their business, right? They work there and we don't. They're going to have a much better grasp of what's important and what's a priority and how painful a problem is, right? And so we're trying to strike a delicate balance of that. And so the idea of show me, you know me, um, I actually find this to be a really interesting and effective use of AI, right? But I'm not using ChatGPT to write my emails for me, but what I am using it to do is to better understand the job that my prospect holds that I've never done myself, right? ChatGPT, tell me what a day in the life of a, of a CFO is like. What is the distinction between a CFO and a controller, right? Those are two different jobs, but they interact with each other. And one of the biggest hills we have to climb or obstacles we have to overcome from an SDR standpoint is we're always going to be at a disadvantage in terms of just time and seat, real life work experience, right? And again, for most of us, we will have never done the job that our prospects do. And so the more that we can invest in educating ourselves about what a day in the life is like for the people we're reaching out to, the more context we can bring to our message. This is good. This this is amazing because you're able to really put yourself in your prospect shoes and speak their own language back to them. So you guys are understanding one another. Now, you mentioned something very interesting there, and it was the use of AI with your process. A lot of people are raving right now about how it can write your emails for you and do all these crazy things as if you don't have to do your job. But at the end of the day, the best way to use it, like you said, is to actually give yourself just more education and information. So I want to know from our audience, are you guys using AI in your current process? Maybe it's through learning. Maybe it's through crafting an email that you adjust. Put a one in the chat if you're using AI currently and put a two if you're not, but now you're maybe thinking about it. <laughs> so I'm already seeing tons of ones here in the chat. So this is really, looks like it is a popular topic because it is uh, really changing the way we do things nowadays. So this is great to see. And a lot of twos too. You know, we've all gone from this classic version of sales to now integrating these new ideas and tools to seeing how we change and develop. So this is great, great. Now, you also had a entire sequence that you wanted to share with us, and we have it here. So can you tell me about this sequence structure? I see that you said it's a, from a using a small list and you have minimal automation. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So Adrian, actually, if you jump to the next slide, I think it, it may make sense to lead a little bit with how I define a, a small list, right? But small list to me is a small batch of prospects, right? If you're calling into the Fortune 100, that is your patch or your sign book of business. You only have 100 accounts, right? That market is very finite. You have a lot to lose if you burn a bridge within one of those accounts. Um, similarly, fixed account lists, right? You've been relegated to a territory. The CRM has been built out to the extent that all the accounts that you could potentially call on been identified, they've been added to the CRM, they've been assigned to you, and there's no expanding beyond that. Um, similar to the first example, right? It's finite, it's fixed. Um, and the third example is more about people rather than accounts. Again, buyers these days are buying in committees, 
right? And so you're often going to have more than one person involved in a deal, but you may take an approach to your sequence where you're segmenting and differentiating your strategy for the above the line folks, powerful influencers or decision makers. Typically, they have a, a minimum of a senior director title, probably a VP or a C in front of their title, right? And then you have the lower level folks. And so you've got more, again, to lose if you stick your foot in your mouth with the CMO, Right, if they blacklist you, it doesn't matter if you make contact with the marketing manager. They're going to push that message up the chain, and the CMO is going to say, "I already told this bozo to buzz off." Mm -hmm. Right, and so when I think about small list, if it's fixed, if it's finite, if I've got a lot to lose, if I screw up, I'm going to take a different approach to my outbound. And so, if you want to share screen again and then go back to that table, Definitely. it's kind of the the illustration of how I would design sequences. It's just meant to illustrate a point, gang. Please don't like take this as fact or Bible that it will work every time, but it's just meant to show you an example of this. Um, but if we look to the bottom, 14 steps in total over 20 working days. Only seven percent of that is automated, right? So the flip side of that is that 93 percent of the actions that I take are human actions on my part. I'm not sending a rinse and repeat email outreach or Apollo or sales loft is not firing that email for me, right? And I've delineated between the number of attempts and the total leave behinds. I'm a big, big fan of ghosting, right? The phone works, um, but you don't necessarily need to leave a voicemail every time you pick up the phone, right? That, I call that dialing for dollars, but you may spend an entire afternoon just calling folks that are in between, you know, an email step and a voicemail step just to see if you can catch them live because it does still work. Definitely does still work. And we have seen that with the evidence. And I'm actually seeing the chat here is asking more about this minimal automation piece. And Shivang actually asked, how do we personalize cold emails at scale basis for personas or industries? So how can this be done at scale? Because clearly you mentioned you're not really using this these automation tools. So how can you do this with a large, larger sample size? Yeah. Um, this could be a bit of a rabbit hole. In terms of sequence design, what I've done to solve for that, um, acknowledging, Shebang, that depending on your business, you may be, it may be appropriate to segment by persona, by industry, or both. And when we do both, it vastly increases the number of variables we're dealing with every day. I'm a big proponent for using a sequence as a skeleton. So I might have a small list skeleton and a big list skeleton. And my small list skeleton dictates the order of operations. But instead of embedding copy in the email itself, I'm, I'm an outreach guy, right? But I use the subject line as a simple prompt for the SDR that says, insert product persona email one, right? And then they pull a template off the shelf that they are then forced to customize to some degree. And then using their human fingers, they hit send, right? So the email itself is not automated the sequence is simply used to automate the nudge to the SDR to say, this is what you're supposed to do with this step, but allows me to consolidate all of my prospects that fit a certain profile in a specific sequence. And you could double up on that by having, again, a single sequence for my, as an example, above the line prospects, all of them, irrespective of title, persona, or industry. And then I use the subject line of the body of that manual email in the sequence as a prompt, insert persona email as appropriate and industry. And then again, I would build a library of templates for myself, right? And that may be a top to bottom email. That may be a half-baked email with additional prompts for yourself once you insert it that serve as a nudge to go out to their profile, to go check the 10K, to do whatever research you're going to do before you contextualize the email and hit send, right? It compromises the reporting, 
But the flip side of that is it vastly simplifies the SDR's job. I don't personally want to be managing a dozen sequences simultaneously. It's hard to get into a flow, right? But managing two, my above the line and my below the line, my above the line is largely manual. And so I can time block for my day, two, three days a week, knowing that when I dive into that sequence, that anybody in that sequence is going to require a higher level of effort to get that email out or that task completed. And then my below the line folks is going to be heavier on the automation, right? More of the steps may be fully automated. And I know that I can move faster through it. And then I can use basic time blocking strategies again to anchor that stuff on my calendar and give myself a level of focus. Because part of this too is how do we do this efficiently? Writing a net new email from scratch over and over and over again is inefficient. I don't care how fast you can type, right? And so we have to think of other hacks, right? Basic strategies to bring into play. And part of that is time blocking, right? And again, part of it is the actual design of your sequences, how many you're managing, right? And how much simplicity you're creating for yourself or how much complication. All right. These are some great points here. You really want to be efficient as possible. It's the name of the game. Once you start seeing yourself fall into the trenches, you can really get stuck there. So you want to make sure that you have two different sequences. I think this was very key here that you had two different ones meant for those above the power line and below the power line. Now, does that a tie into your small list? Now, would you be building a small list of about a hundred, let's say above the power line people, and then uh, do this minimal automation sequence? Yeah, so I don't know that we have time to get into that today. That's a slightly more complicated complicated formula mm-hmm. to understand what is the design of my sequence? How big is my patch, right? Because the notion that I have 100 prospects to put into my smallest sequence, that may literally be true, that I only have a total of 100 prospects that I can ever call on that are going to go into the sequence. Um, but ideally, good and effective sales development these days is experimentation. It's a test and iterate process. So let's say for sake of argument, I only have a hundred prospects. I may only put in 10 at a time, 10 per week, right? To test an approach and see what works. I don't want to go all in because if I don't know what to expect, I don't want to burn through leads knowing that there's no more for me to pull from. Now, if you've got a list of a thousand above the line prospects, then maybe it's reasonable to put a hundred net new prospects into that sequence every week. All right. Now, balance between the two, right? If my small list is 100 and my big list is 1,000, I got to figure out how can I manage this effectively over a period of time. I'm going to change gears just slightly, but there was a question on what I meant by ghost. And I just want to clarify, Stephen, thanks for jumping in. But when I say ghost in this context, it's a phone call with no voicemail. Or so I'm going to pick up the phone and make an attempt, but if they don't answer, I'm going to hang up and move on. No follow-up email, no voicemail, right? It's simply an attempt. I'm glad you you pointed that out because there's a big difference between a ghost call and ghosting. So go, you know, ghosting is when your prospect. You don't want to ghost our prospects. No. <laughs> yeah, you would rather have you know the former instead of the latter. So <laughs> yeah. Now, Jeff here in the chat is also asking, what is a power line? What is above and below? Jeff, this is just about who is the decision makers, right? Those who have the power to make decisions are above the power line. And those who do not have power to make decisions are below the power line. Now, I want to move on here, Seth, because you also had some great points about a large list examples. So can you break this down for me? What would be a description of a large list? Yeah. So if we think about the types of organizations we're selling to, to overly simplify, we got small, medium, and large. In a small business context, small organizations, you tend to have fewer decision makers, you tend to have more accounts, 
right? And so the list itself is going to be big. Um, everything tends to move a bit faster. So building lists, approaching prospects, getting deals done, it's a, it's a more transactional motion. Um, and that often implies that you have a, a higher degree of predictability. In many cases, selling into the SMB, you're up against known vendors in an established category. And so when you have those things working in your favor, you can lean more heavily on automation, right? If I reach out to you, Adrian, and say, I'm, I'm selling an alternative to iPhones, you immediately know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. right? And so I can do a bit more rinse and repeat motion there. Um, the other examples where you've got extensive white space, right? You may be bringing a new product to market, but you fit in an existing category and there's a ton of white space out there. By that, I mean accounts that you have never touched, that have never heard from you. Your, your list is still finite, but it's big, right? That could be hundreds, if not thousands of new accounts that you could potentially work over the year. Uh, the aim there is to go for coverage. So again, we're going to lean a little bit more heavily on automation. Um, and the other is just a very uniform contact list. So again, in this SMB environment, uh, as an example, I worked for Google Offers. We sold to small business owners and we could sell across a bunch of, of, of industries or categories, right? And they all looked somewhat alike, small business owner with a staff of less than 50 people at a single location, right? Again, in that environment, I can use more of that rinse and repeat. I hate spray and pray, but like we can use a little bit more of that because we're not having to do as much education, right? We have limited information at our disposal to personalize, right? The smaller the business, in many cases, not always, but in many cases, the less information you can find about your decision makers on the internet, right? They may not have a a LinkedIn profile or presence for us to do much around. Uh, They may be privately owned, always have been, always will be, right? And again, there's limited information for us to weave into our emails. And so in, in, in some ways, we almost have no choice but to lean more heavily on automation, right? And run a big batch through still testing and iterating, right? But we can do it at a larger scale, leaning more heavily on automated emails. All right. Now you mentioned the leaning more on that automation because you have to do a lot of coverage. You have a massive list. So your your size, your sample size is huge. So if that's the case, what does that cadence look like? I know you brought this example for us. This one has a moderate amount of automation. Uh, can you break this down for us? Yeah. Um, so similar to the small list in terms of the total number of steps, I think it was 17 on the small list to the 20 in the large list. Um, but you'll see as compared to the first one, which was 7% automated, this is 40% automated, right? Um, and if you strip the ghost calls, that, that ratio goes up exponentially. Um, we've got a bunch of attempts, right? Cause again, everything in the small business market, smaller accounts, smaller buyer committees, right? We're going to increase our speed and scale. Um, and so there's a lot more attempts over that period of time uh, and a handful more leave behinds. And so you'll see things like day two, the call and voicemail plus an automated email. That's three touches. I'm making a phone call, right? I'm leaving a voicemail behind and then I'm I'm sending an email as well. That's my one-two punch. I'm going to leave the voicemail and I'm going to automate an outreach sales off the poll. I'm going to automate a follow-up email to go out within three minutes of leaving that voicemail. So as soon as I mark the voicemail task complete, the system itself is going to send a follow-up which will likely be a reply to that first email that went out on day one, right? Because I want to I want to build some density and really press them to either give me the meeting, refer me to someone else, or tell me to pound sand or, or wait, right? But I want to get to that quickly because again, the larger the list, the less time I have to work my way through those accounts and those contacts. Okay. Now I'm seeing here 
Carrie was asking, what do you say in your voicemail? Since these aren't as many ghosts, but you're also leaving a voicemail. So what do you like to say? Yeah. Um, some of this is personal preference. I mean, all my piece, this is an approach I've always taken. I've largely worked in startup environments, bringing new products to market, um, trying to carve out differentiation between legacy categories of vendors. But I like leading with an email. Um, the other piece of this, if I think about it from the prospect standpoint, right? nobody likes a cold call. I mean, there's probably a very small segment of the population who gets some sort of uh, twisted pleasure out of getting a phone call, but on the whole, um, they're disruptive, right? And so the email is a means to lay some foundation to kind of soften the beach and give the prospect a level of discretion to engage and reply at their discretion, right? When we cold call them, we can force them to talk to us and it's inherently an awkward and uncomfortable experience. Um to that end, my voicemails, at least in the early days, refer back to the email. Hey, Adrian, it's Seth with Revcast. Drop you an email yesterday. When you get a chance, check it out and hit reply. Like That's that. it. I'm going to keep it short. Attention spans are limited these days. Um, I'd like for them to be able to read it, right? If, if the iPhone transcribes it for them. And what I'm trying to do is drive them back to the email because our jobs as SDRs is not to sell. It is a sales job, but our job is not to sell on the, on the product or the value proposition, our goal is to drive that initial engagement. And to do that, we have to schedule a call and have some focused time with them. And so that that should be what you're carrying in your mind is my goal is to get somebody to engage with me in a positive way and agree to set time to have a focused conversation. And in that conversation, we're going to do some discovery. I want to learn about them. Okay. So you mentioned a lot the email, right? When you're referencing it in your voicemail. So let's break down some facts here when it comes to email, because I see a lot of people asking, hey, Seth, what do you write in your email? How much detail should be in your email? So can you cover some of these facts and then get into how you like to craft an email? Yep. Uh, again, all of my piece, big fan, longtime friend of uh, the Wills over at Lavender, right? Some of these stats come from them. Um, follow Will Allred if you're not. He's got some great like facts and figures around the efficacy of, of cold emails right now. Uh, 4% of the emails that are personalized are seeing exponentially higher reply rates. 12,000%. That's crazy. Right? Take the time. Um, in terms of length, mobile, right? Like 80% of emails, give or take, are being read for the first time on a mobile device. Um, part of what I love about the Lavender products is I can just visualize that. Um, before Lavender, I mean, I would do the work to send the email to myself and then pull it up on my iPhone, right? Ideally, you want it to fit on a single screen. We don't have them to scroll past the fold, right? And cut out the surplus. This word always gets me extraneous words. There we go. Um, there, you're using a lot of words that you don't need to jump to the fourth bullet, right? Brevity, more words compromise your reply rates. So we got to be ruthless. Um, there's a great uh, slide share floating around out there called How to Kill a Word. It's a great way to just kind of visually walk yourself through the opportunities that we have to pull words out um, while at a minimum retaining our core message and in some cases actually making our message significantly more clear. All right. Uh, and again, this is why we test and iterate. You may, you may go too far in terms of cutting words and your prospect's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now I have a signal back that I need to use at least a few more clarifying words. Right, introduce a little bit more context. Uh, when it comes to sequence design, there's a lot of research that says more channels work better than fewer. We don't want to go all in on any single channel. This is going to be specific to you and your business, 
my the three legs of my stool, my go-tos for every sequence I build from the onset is going to include phone, email, and LinkedIn. Um, but I got a buddy who sells to social media managers, right? Instagram is actually a very viable outbound channel for him. Uh, I saw a question about video. Um, again, another rabbit hole. Not all of us are great on screen, myself included. Thanks for being patient with me today, right? But um, there's something to be said. Video is effective. Uh, you know, Vidyard is a wonderful solution there. If you're introducing LinkedIn invites as part of your sequence strategy and get connections, you're now afforded an opportunity to send video and voice memos to your prospects, right? Um, but on the whole, if you take nothing else away, more channels work better than fewer, right? Two works better than one, three works better than two, so on and so forth. Um, and this stat always, it, it changes slightly year to year. It, it always blows my mind, right? But the average reading level across the board in the US is at a fifth graders reading level, right? Keep it simple. I know we think, again, we, we come in, we get trained, we get excited. We want to like communicate everything that we've learned, but we're going for lowest common denominator language. My test for years was to call my grandmother in New York, who was sharp. She got her, you know, uh, MBA in her fifties. If I could not explain to my grandmother what my company was about, what we were solving for, I was overcomplicating the message. So this find a friend, test it with your peers, right? But we want to try to keep it simple. Keep it very simple. It is the core message of this all. When it comes to your emails, make sure that you're human and you keep it simple. Now, we have about one minute left. So Seth, where can the people find you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is great. Um, again, old guy, I'm a broken record. I've been on since 04. It was a different place. If you've already sent me an invite, follow up with a message. And if you haven't yet, just include something that you're here today. I'm not a big fan of cold invites. Uh, if you don't acknowledge that you were here, I'm going to hit reply and say, hey, how'd you find me? So get in front of that. Um, but yeah, be happy to connect with folks on LinkedIn, take any of these conversations offline if you got specific questions. This is fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. The conversation was fantastic. Thank you to everyone who was engaging in the chat. It's great to see you here. And of course, we will catch you on the next one. See you later.